Here's a message from Ken Lavica. It just never ends, these injuries. Now, it's Giannis. That appears to be absolutely gruesome, and this is what it comes down to. There is going to be an NBA champion that's going to win despite injuries and because of other injuries, and we're going to have to accept it. Who is most capable, though? And that's the question. Joe Rigotti, hit the open. On your mark. Get set. You are listening to Ken LaVica Live on ESPN 106.3. Presented by FAU MBA and Sport Management Program. No, no, no. Stick around. Hang out with us. Cool. Yeah, we'll stay and hang around with you. It's Ken LaVica Live on ESPN 106.3. I... I'm just going to warn you, if you haven't seen Giannis Antetokounmpo's injury yet, uh, proceed with caution because that was something that you can feel in your own knee when you watch what took place last night in Atlanta. And now this truly is an NBA Finals or an NBA postseason that's going to become uh, last men standing. It is a battle of attrition at this point. Who's best equipped? I think that needs to start being focused on. And it's Kedlovic alive. Coquel on vacation. This is what freedom feels like. Joe Rigotti hanging out as he usually does on a Wednesday, making sure this doesn't get too out of sorts. Coming to you from the Anajar and Levine Action and Attorney Studios, Phillips Point Towers, downtown West Palm Beach, right off of the cloudy Intracoastal. AEW star, one of the greatest wrestling giants in the history of sports entertainment, Paul White. We'll hang out with us at 12.15. AEW is coming to Miami next Wednesday on the University of Miami campus. He's going to talk about that. And got some surprises for him as well. So Paul White scheduled to join us at 12.15. Let's go ahead and just listen to it, Joe. Uh, last night, TNT, uh, and this was already a game not featuring Trey Young because of the sore ankle, the bone bruises the Hawks are calling it after stepping on the official's foot. In game three, that's the type of playoffs this has been. Listen to the horror, to the stomach churning in the voices of Reggie Miller and Marv Albert when they finally get a look at A, who's writhing in pain, injured on the floor after this took place uh, in the third quarter. And then once they see the replay, because you'll know exactly when each is taking place. This is last night TNT. And someone's down. And it looks like it's Giannis grabbing that right, or excuse me, that left knee. Oh, no. Oh, my goodness. There was a lot of contact on the alley there. This is something you absolutely don't want to see. See the hyperextension? Yep, the left knee. Oh, oh man. Can't even look at it. No. Marv Albert, who has called thousands of NBA games in his life, saying you can't even look at it. Imagine what sort of injuries and what sort of uh, different grotesque images he has seen in an NBA arena in his lifetime, in an NHL arena in his lifetime, and that it seemed like he needed to turn away from. And just the the vision of Giannis's leg hyperextended like that, 
I, I mean, just I've got the image seared into my mind, but this is a another symptom of what has been the most injury-plagued postseason in any sport that I can remember. I mean, this includes the NHL where guys are playing on broken feet and broken legs and broken pelvises. That's the best part of an NHL season is when you get the injury report after a team gets eliminated and it's like spleen cut in half or uh, larynx uh, fractured or, uh, you know, aorta punctured, like that sort of stuff. But this is crazy. This is absolutely crazy. It has struck every single team, whether it is James Harden, whether it's Kyrie Irving, whether it's Kawhi Leonard, uh, whether it is Trey Young, now Giannis Antetokounmpo, Chris Paul, uh, the list goes on and on and on, Jamal Murray. And so now we're in a spot where you've got three of the four teams that have their superstar, their go-to guy, their MVP missing Eastern Conference or Western Conference Finals games. Those three being the Bucks with no Giannis. The Hawks with no Trey Young. We still don't know what his status is going to be in Game 5. And the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard. And we know he won't play in a Game 6 of that series. Which shorthanded team, Bucks, Hawks, Clippers, is best equipped to still win a championship? 888-760-3776. 888-760-3776. Or you can tweet at us at ESPN West Palm. Which shorthanded team, Bucks with no Giannis, Hawks with no Trey, Clippers with no Kawhi, is best equipped to still win a championship, 888-760-3776, 888-760-3776. And I think that uh, the easiest place for the human brain to go to here is with the Clippers because, oh, well, they've got playoff P. You've got Paul George. Uh, he went off for 42 in Game 5 to keep the Clippers alive. But here's the problem with that, and your mind automatically going there, is that the Clippers are still facing two elimination games to even get to the NBA Finals. And you're not going to have Kawhi Leonard for the rest of the series. You're going to have to depend on Paul George to be Herculean in consecutive games, something he has not been able to do. He has had good games by himself as the guy with the Clippers leading them to victory, but he hasn't put it together in back-to-back games. Can he do it again? Oh, well, Ken, Game 6 is being played in L.A., All right, well, Game 4 was played in L.A., and the Suns, that's what put the Clippers on the brink. This is also a Suns team that has not gotten a good game yet from CP3 since he returned from the COVID-19 protocols and what appears to be a battle with COVID-19. So the Clippers, I would argue, yeah, they still may be best equipped to win a championship, but they have the toughest path to actually get into a position to win the championship. Then... There's the discussion about the Bucks and the Hawks. Last night, when I found out Trey Young wasn't going to play for Atlanta, I tweeted, well, guess I'm all in on the Suns now, because that was it for Atlanta. That was it for the Hawks. And then even despite the Giannis injury, what do the Hawks go and do? They're lights out. Bogdanovich, Herter, John Collins, Lou Williams. I mean, they were magical last night. They didn't miss. They deed up. I mean, the Bucs are probably losing that game even if Giannis doesn't go out. And it was clear 
that once Giannis went down with that gruesome knee injury, that the Bucs were finished last night. Like, they weren't coming back from that. So we're going to have to see now if the Bucs, who are, they're not going to have Giannis going back to Milwaukee. Is it going to be the Bucs being like the Hawks and becoming uh, emotionally charged and winning for Giannis? Or do they melt down now? Which shorthanded team, the Bucks with no Giannis, Hawks with no Trey, Clippers with no Kawhi, best equipped to still win an NBA championship? 888-760-3776. 888-760-3776. The Twitter is at ESPN West Palm. Because, again, you're talking about three of the four teams left in the NBA postseason that have not just injury problems, but their guy is down and likely out. I mean, if Giannis can come back at any point in this series and play, I mean, that's a miracle. He's not human. He's been sent from the heavens. There's something that is abnormal about his DNA. Because that injury, and there are multiple reports that the Bucks are fearing a serious ACL injury. Duh. I mean, seriously. Like, did we think anything other than that? And so if that's the case, I mean, you're not going to have Giannis. But... We've also seen a lot of praise for Chris Middleton and a lot of praise for Drew Holiday. Our own Evan Cohen, who you hear commercial free, 5 o'clock here on ESPN 106.3, the other day was talking about how, how often do you find a team where the number two guy is actually more important than the number one guy. And he's talking about Chris Middleton, who went off in uh, game three to help the Bucks pick up a road win. Do the Bucs have enough with Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday? If Chris Middleton is indeed the most important player on the Bucs, he's still available. He's still there. Drew Holiday, he was the big offseason acquisition to put the Bucs in a position to contend for a championship and get over the heat hump and get into an Eastern Conference Finals with a chance to go to the NBA Finals. So with no Giannis, can the Bucs still do this? I, I think that the Bucs, if... The buzz is true about Chris Middleton and about Drew Holiday, and we're going to sit there and praise him over the last week and a half and them over the last week and a half and say that they're so important and maybe Chris Middleton is more important than Giannis Antetokounmpo is. Then shouldn't I think that the Bucs are still the best equipped team despite missing their star to win an NBA championship? Sort of seems like it, right? Like Paul George... Again, it's easy to say, oh, well, they have Paul George, so he can lead that team. Have, have you people heard yourselves talk about Paul George, though, and diminish Paul George and rip him for his playoff performances? So you mean to tell me that after uh, Monday night, like, all of the things that you rip Paul George for, he's atoned for them, and now you feel comfortable with the fact that the Clippers can win at home tonight and then win in Phoenix in a Game 7? Wait, what happened to the Paul George of the last three, four years, but especially since he came to L.A. and all your criticisms of him? Where, where are you on this? You can't be hypocritical about that, and that's why I think there's been a lot of pub paid to Chris Middleton, a lot of pub paid to Drew Holiday. The Bucks made the moves. The Hawks are still the underdog. Even without Giannis, emotionally it hurts, but you should still be able to get it done, right? I think the Bucs the are best equipped to still win a championship. No matter how severe, after pictures are taken of that knee today, whatever the solution or whatever the end game is on that, I think the Bucs are still best equipped. And the Bucs don't have to get by 
CP3 and Devin Booker. The Bucks have an easier road getting by the Hawks, especially not knowing what Trey Young's situation is going to be moving forward. The Bucks are taking on the team that's also shorthanded and also the lesser of the teams remaining in the NBA postseason. So I say Bucks. What do you say? Which shorthanded team, the Bucs with no Giannis, Hawks with no Trey, Clippers with no Kawhi, best equipped to still win a championship? 888-760-3776. 888-760-3776. And uh, you can go to Twitter, at ESPN West Palm, and uh, that's where we head to our poll, which team is best equipped to win an NBA title shorthanded. Right now, 80% say the Clippers without Kawhi. But again, I go back to Paul George. What do you think Paul George is? The vast majority of social media would lead you to believe that he's just straight trash, especially in the postseason. And then he had 42 points the other night, and he's calling out his critics, and all of a sudden he, in your mind, is elevated to uh, elite status. Which one is it? Is it playoff P as an insult, or is it playoff P the Pacers version? Like, what What do you make of Paul George? And let's not forget, the Clippers still have to win two against the only full-strength team left who also might be the best team if all of them were full-strength remaining in the NBA postseason. 20% say that the Hawks, without Trey, the best-equipped team to win an NBA title shorthanded. They're a fun story, and they're fun to watch. And it's fun to, uh, to, to put Kevin Herter up there and say, that's our guy. It's fun to watch John Collins jump out of the gym. It's fun to see uh, the Hawks grind their way defensively. But do you really honestly think they have enough without Trey Young to A, beat the Bucks and then go and beat whoever comes out of the West? I have a really hard time believing that. Like, they're on, uh, they're on borrowed time. At this point, I like the Hawks. I like watching them. I like Trey Young. Not sure there's a lot of gas left in the tank. Could be wrong because I've been wrong about the Bucks, uh, the, the Hawks, many times in this postseason. But this sort of feels like they just aren't championship caliber yet. No one thinks, though, on this poll at ESPN West Palm, that the Bucks without Giannis have a chance to win an NBA title. Giannis is a force. We know that. We understand that. He's a difficult matchup, but he also can't do anything outside of 10 feet. He's airballed three free throws in this postseason. That's without his hyperextended knee. So you're going to tell me now that just because Giannis Antetokounmpo is injured and could miss the rest of the postseason, that with Robin Lopez, who's going to have to see extended minutes, he's much better as a role player, I understand that, but he's also someone who's been able to take on in a previous portion of his his basketball life uh, the main duty as a presence underneath the basket. And then Chris Middleton, who many of you, including Evan Cohen, saying, oh, well, when's the last time a number two was more important than the number one player? Well, now it's time to show it. If Chris Middleton really is for real, if he is that important, if he is the guy, then he should be able to help the Bucs and especially with Drew Holiday, should be able to help the Bucs at least into the NBA Finals and give them a chance to compete for a championship. Which team best equipped to win an NBA title shorthanded? 
Bucks without Giannis, Clippers without Kawhi, Hawks without Trey, 888-760-3776, 888-760-3776. And again, you can tweet at us at ESPN West Palm. Ken Levick alive here on ESPN 106.3. And uh, let's switch gears here and bring in a man who I grew up uh, watching and enjoying. And he is uh, in another portion of his wrestling career. He is a legend. Uh, and next Wednesday, AEW Road Rager, AEW getting back to the road, leaving the comfortable confines of Jacksonville, and they're headed to the James L. Knight Center in Coral Gables. AEWTix.com, AEWTix.com. It's Paul White with us here on ESPN 106.3. Paul, awesome to talk to you, man. Thank you for jumping on. And I guess let's just start with this. Uh, How is AEW life treating you so far? It's pretty unreal. Um, It's uh, it's a little bit of a culture shock. Um, There's a a lot of uh, positive synergy with everyone uh, working hard to, uh, to be better, to do better, to put the best show out possible. It's got a real young... Uh, underdog fighting kind of a atmosphere that's intoxicating. Um, how how nervous were you to leave something that and leave an organization you had been with for twenty years and kind of do something new? Like it's not new, but you know what I mean. It's a whole new environment, right. no. new atmosphere. It was incredibly hard. Um, I've had friends that I've made for over four decades there, um, and it was just a. It's just one of those things as a talent, as any athlete or, or any professional person, um, you, you have to know what you're capable of and what your worth is and, you know, what makes you happy. And for me, um, the I had done so many things in WWE. I had done pretty much, I think, everything that you could do in WWE. And I really wasn't ready to to step into the role that I think they were trying to push me into. Yeah. Um, and it was just one of those things like, no, I want to do more. I want to contribute more. I want to wrestle. I want to help younger talent. Um, and, you know, luckily AEW and, and Tony Khan gave me this opportunity. Um, it was pretty shaky. I mean, to go from a place where you have tenure, a place where, you know, you know who you are on the totem pole, so to speak, and to kind of start over and, uh, make new uh, make new friendships and, and make new uh, impact on the business that you love. Man, you talk about Totem Pole and Paul White joining us here on ESPN 106.3. AEW Road Rager uh, coming to the James L. Knight Center in Miami next Wednesday. Get your tickets for a 7 o'clock start, AEWTix.com. It'll be good to see, uh, good to see AEW leaving Jacksonville for a little bit, getting back on the road. You talk about Totem Pole, but you're, you're Paul White. Like You're someone who is a, a seven-time WWE champion, someone who has done it all, had some of the most legendary matches, and you were worried about where you fit into the pantheon of the AEW? Like, really, Paul? Well, it, it's different because I'm not at the start of my career. I'm not trying to prove myself. I mean, if anything, this is the, uh, let's be honest, it's the twilight of my career. Sure. You know, it's the uh, last two years where I can compete on a level and work with guys and still entertain the fans and also teach some of the guys in the ring when I work with them. So at the same time, um, you know, this is a very hungry company that I work for. There's a lot of hungry talent here. And I didn't want to be that guy that just came in and plopped my big butt down, and <laughs> here I am, and I'm going to start off fighting Kenny Omega for the championship, and yeah. I'm going to hog up all the TV time. Um, some talent may think that's the wrong way to do it. I don't think so. For me, it's not my goal. I'm not really worried about being 
an AEW champion. Not that I wouldn't love to be AEW champion someday, but my thing was to come in and understand AEW, how it works, and how I can contribute the most. Because that's the part that means the most to me is to legitimately be able to come in and contribute and help. And that's to take the decades of TV experience, to take the decades of traveling around the world and competing with some of the biggest stars this business has ever seen. And and that's a, a school of learning that is kind of lost nowadays. Yeah. And to take that experience and, and transport where you can make the most and do the most for it, most bang for my buck, so to speak. And, and AEW's that. That's why I started off doing the commentary. The commentary really under, helps me understand the talent, helps me understand a lot of the creativity that's going on. Because, you know, in WWE, it's such an organized process of angles and how promos are written, how matches are structured, how opponents are structured from everything is structured from how a talent enters the ring and walks down the ramp and how they face hard camera and do their signature pose. All that is structured. Where in AEW, there's an incredible latitude of talent interpretation. You know, what, yeah. what do they think? What character are they trying to put forth? Sure, there's encouragement. Sure, you can align someone and try to help them stay within the rails. But, you know, wrestling, I've always believed, is an art, and it's up to the talent to interpret that. And to keep the, the business fresh, to keep the talent fresh, you have to let them be creative. You have to let them explore. When everything is, is laid out cookie-cutter style, it's real hard. And some talent do well in that atmosphere. But to really find your stars, your stars have to have the, the ability to to create from their own soul and make it theirs. Because like I tell them all the time, if you don't believe it, the fans won't. I, uh, I don't think this will come as a surprise to you, and I don't think I'm surprised knowing that uh, I've listened to a lot of uh, Jim Ross over the last couple of years, and he talks a lot about how when he uh, started DC, uh, WCW, went into WWE, that he kept telling guys, like, hey, you're going to have to create your own brand. This is you. You're sort of right. your, your own CEO at this point. And sort of what you're saying, like, be creative and find your own niche instead of doing what's ultimately right. written for you as we were joined by Paul White. And again, uh, Paul White, by the way, AEW Dark Elevation. You can catch that doing his commentary Monday, 7 o'clock on the AEW YouTube channel. So I do want to ask you from a broadcaster's perspective, because I do a lot of play-by-play football and basketball for Florida Atlantic. Paul White, the broadcaster, one, how's that going so far? And two, uh, where are you getting the tips from? Is uh, is Shivoni making sure he's in your ear all the time? Who's talking to you? How do you feel you've progressed so far? Uh, Tony's been a great broadcast partner. We've been friends, you know, since 95. So Tony's been great because Tony lets me do my thing, you know, and I'm learning and actually still trying to find my own style that I'm comfortable with. I mean, JR's, you know, the color commentator of color commentators, you know, he's <laughs> he can do this, you know, with his eyes closed, sure. basically. And, uh, you know, Excalibur is also another great talent that AEW has. Just He's so quick with describing the maneuvers in the ring and, and really keeping that, that action flowing. And uh, I made a joke to Excalibur just a couple of days ago when I was talking to him. I said, you know, I watched Dodgeball the other day, and I feel like Pepper Brooks. <laughs> the <laughs> Ocho, know? yeah. I'm Captain, I feel like Captain Obvious taking <laughs> stuff sometimes. So it's, it's a unique art form to, to get your point across, to help the talent tell the story that they're telling in the ring, uh, and to clue the audience at home. What I try to do is just give, well, this is why the talent's doing this, because they're attacking this, and psychology-wise, hopefully the talent is making it, and try to give that 
input um, from an experience perspective and try to help enhance the talent and what they're doing in the ring. Because sometimes, you know, announcers get to talking about other things, upcoming big pay-per-views, or, and, and a lot of times that what's going on in the ring, the actual storytelling gets missed. The maneuvers get called. Yeah. But the one hole that I'm trying to fill is why were these maneuvers attempted? What was, what was probably going through the talent's mind at this time? So that's the, the way I'm trying to, you know, again, be unique and make it my own. But uh, I saw Dodgeball the other day. I started laughing. I'm like, my God, I'm Pepper Brooks. Yep. I love you it. Know, that's me. I'm Captain Obvious. Every time I watch you know, AEW Dark Elevation now, because of you, I'm going to think of Dodgeball. So I appreciate that, yeah, Paul. Thank you. That's it. If you, <laughs> if you see that, it's just, it's just you know, just because the, the whole thing with the announcement with uh, Justin Bateman just being Captain Obvious <laughs> with everything, you know, his bomb puts on a blindfold. Yeah, he's not going to be able to see their cotton. And I'm like, God, I got to be, uh, I got to be real careful about that. But, so, uh, but, you're, but it's fun. And, and, you know, and you know, broadcasting the action happens pretty fast. Yeah, for sure. So it's for like, sure. sometimes you got to get your bites a little bit shorter and, uh, and, uh, you know, like I tell Tony, I'm, I'm not trying to read the Gutenberg Bible here. I'm just trying to give a, a snippet so keep people involved. But I'll say the stuff that you're throwing out there in terms of what you're noticing about yourself, like you're self-critiquing yourself, and that's so wildly important. Like that's legitimately impressive because like you were saying, with, uh, with someone late in their wrestling career going to uh, another organization, it would be easy to just plop down and say, oh, this is good, uh, I'm a face. But you're actually like working for it. So that is, that, that's really impressive. Paul White is, has he a whole home game uh next wednesday uh in miami yeah. james l night center aew road rager can't wait for it seven o'clock get your tickets aewtix.com because you're still in pinecrest right uh actually i just i just moved out of pinecrest i moved back to tampa oh, okay cool um but i still have all, a bunch of friends and family in miami so it's still it's still basically like going home i mean you know so uh, I do chuckle a little bit because I was just a few minutes away from the building. Now I've got about a, I live in Tampa now, so I've got a three hour and 45 minute, four hour drive. So, but it still works. Yeah, no, without with the, that alligator alley drive is no big deal. If you leave at the right time of day, you're all, you're all good. No, I've been driving alligator alley since like 1994. <laughs> <laughs> so that's to me, that drive to Miami is always the best drive. Even when you go over the Skyway bridge, when you leave Tampa and you go yep. across alligator alley and, there's just so much good time on that drive for self-reflection and, uh, and just really it's a good place to let your mind decompress and, and reorganize your office closet, so to speak. <laughs> that's, that's actually a great way to put it. Um, I do want to uh, uh, fanboy for a moment, and I know you get this and I know it's sure. annoying, but while I have you, because... Uh, it's not annoying at all, my God. Because <laughs> of the fans, I've never had to get a real job. I'm Your career peak. I was uh, sort of uh, coming of age sports fan and sports entertainment fan at that point, and so I actually saw you once when I was in college at a house show in Valparaiso, Indiana. But then I yeah. also uh, was in attendance at Allstate Arena in your famous match against Shane McMahon, two thousand one, uh, where you took a leg drop from Shane McMahon from the top of the Titan Tron. And uh, it was it was ridiculous. I have never forgotten it. They got seared into my memory. His limbs flailing as you laid there and took that bump. Uh, when that idea what I comes up, yeah, what like who who came up with the idea and what do you remember from that? Well, that's that's Shane. Uh, first of all, that's Shane. And you know, 
to work with Shane, you have to really try to to keep him, if you can, corralled within the realm of safety and reality. Because <laughs> Shane's the guy that will like throw his parachute out of the plane and then jump <laughs> out after it and put it on on the way down. Uh-huh. You know, that's like I mean, his the guy literally has no fear. But I remember that night when we talked about what we we're going to do and all that stuff. But then the the enormity of how fast he came off the top of that Titantron. He had these uh, baggy pants that were whipping like a flag in the wind. And I remember hearing those pants on the way down <laughs> and thinking, wow, if he misses this, I'm dead. <laughs> like, I mean, like it's, I mean, you know, he's 200 pounds. He would have landed right on me and probably would have popped me like a grape. But uh, it turned out well. And that's the thing people understand about Shane. He's an incredible athlete. And uh, the guy is the best way I can describe it. The guy's just all balls. He has no fear. Yeah. He yeah. really doesn't. It's a, it's inspiring to be around because you can kind of look at him and go, hey, man, you know you really don't have to do this, right? But not him. He's wide open. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that you're, you're exactly right. Like, why? And he's done it over and over and over again. But you... Uh, have have been in positions like that too as the giant, as the big guy, the guy in that situation who's going to take the bump from the big flyer or you're going up against other giants and whether it's choke slamming the Undertaker through the ring or uh, you being tasked with uh, with some of the, the more destructive moments in WWE, you flipping Jeeps. Like what are, uh, are, there, are there some uh, ideas presented to you or were there or have there been where you say to yourself, I just don't know if this is a good idea. Um, yeah, there was, there's a bunch of things that have been pissed at me that I, I've like, I don't know if I can do that. Yeah. I don't know if that makes any sense. And then, you know, one thing about, um, about Vince, he's a great salesman. So <laughs> he's able to, yeah. to convince you and talk you into doing anything. And also there's nothing he would ask his talent to do that he wouldn't do himself. That's a standard that just, I don't think will ever change no yeah. matter, uh, no matter how old he gets or how successful he gets, he's still got that lunatic type attitude but uh off the top of my head i remember one afternoon we were doing a buried alive match it was me i think taker mick foley um can't remember who else was in it um and they were doing a test run where they were going to like pour concrete into the um into the buried alive thing someone's going to back in a truck and fill it with concrete Uh but they had this plexiglass case set up so that you could like they were going to put cameras in and see the person get covered in <laughs> cement. Yeah. And when they poured it, the plexiglass cracked and the whole thing just completely imploded. And I remember me and Taker, a couple of us just turned around, walked off like, yeah, that's not happening. Yeah. No, nope, that's a big <laughs> fat. No, good Lord, man. That's uh, a big fat. No, yeah. like, you know, um, that's the one that I remember like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't want any part of that. Yeah. But, you yeah. Know, I'm, I'm open-minded to a point, and then, like, that's where, when concrete. I think the worst, though, when I tell you this one, you'll laugh. The worst was the Punjabi prison match Oh, against Undertaker. I'm sure. Because it looked like bamboo, but was made out of steel. (laughs) There was nothing in that Punjabi prison match that was friendly at all. Like, every surface was ready to bust you open or bruise you or break something. Like, I was like, whose idea was it to make it look like bamboo and have it made out of steel? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> like shouldn't it look like steel and be made out of bamboo? I mean, you know. 
no matter what, that was going to be stiff uh, in that. Uh, again, Paul White, AEW, exactly. like, and that sucks. That's that's a, a tough thing going in. Paul White, AEW Road Rager, James L. Knight Center, AEW returning to the road in front of fans. Uh, this comes up Wednesday, 7 o'clock, AEWTix.com. Just a couple left for you, Paul. And again, thank you for, for jumping on because this is uh, it's, hey, it's Thank awesome. you so much for having me, and I, I can't wait to see everyone there in Miami come out and Enjoy some good old-fashioned pro wrestling. Yeah, it's it, I, it's going to be – and I guess that leads me to this. How old or at what point did it get old uh, performing in front of screens or chairs once the pandemic started? <laughs> um, it was tough, but I thought the pandemic was good for talent for, for a number of reasons because it, they didn't have the ability to um, go to the audience in their matches. They had to focus on what they were doing in the ring. And it's just like if you go back years ago to some of the Georgia Championship things mm-hmm. in Mid-Atlantic, you know, these are in TV studios that might have 25 or 30 people there because, you know what I mean? Like there yeah. wasn't a lot of people at some of those television tapings. And all those guys that were great workers like, you know, Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton and Ric Flair and you know, all those guys that were doing that whole circuit back then really had to know what they were doing in the ring because they couldn't rely on that audience as a crutch to involve them. Sure. So I think it's been good for the talent to experience that. I think it's been good for a lot of talent mentally to really appreciate the fans and appreciate how lucky we are to be able to do what we do. And uh, I think it's been good overall. Um, But I think definitely the excitement to be back in front of the crowd has never been higher. So all that, you take a negative and you turn to a positive. So, you know, you got to find a silver lining in the cloud. And I think the one silver lining out of it is, is it really made the talent focus on what they were doing in the ring more so and uh, made them really appreciate the fans. I do think that that probably has helped people like, and in particular, what comes to mind at AEW is Britt Baker. Like, she started as a bit of a sensation, had a lot of crowd support, and then she really developed her character and it forced her to focus on herself technically as well uh with with no fans in attendance and now look at her she's one of the biggest stars in all of wrestling she's one who immediately comes yeah, out i tease i tease brit all the time and call her i called i call her a needle mover I said you're a needle mover kid <laughs> I said, some people move the needle yeah. and some people don't you yep. move the needle and she's really really grown and that's a prime example of a talent that's been able to create their own persona to create their own their own brand and get over and you can tell by the reception she gets from the fans it's not contrived she's legitimately over she's not over because she gets tv time every week and this is what's being pushed she got over because she learned how to work and she is over she she built that relationship with the fans and that's that's the key to a long-term career that's the key to being successful you know yeah, for sure. Uh, two more quick ones here with Paul White. Um, uh, I saw in a couple of interviews uh, that you were were uh, talking about Vince McMahon when he found out that you were going to AEW, and you said he was very gracious and he understood. But going into that, how nervous were you when you were thinking about when he was going to find out you were making the move? No, I, I, don't, I don't think it was a when kind of a thing. I mean, Vince and I didn't have that kind of relationship where you know there wasn't any surprises. I mean, you know, there were there were just things that I wanted as far as terms and and opportunity and compensation, and you know, not saying that anything that they offered me wasn't generous. It was very generous, but it just wasn't the direction that I wanted to go into personally. Um, you know, and that's the thing. And Vince, 
is the type of person that he always respects people for going with their gut. Yeah. You know, and, and him and I have been through a lot together. And I, I mean, every, all the success I have is from, from working there and I'm eternally grateful, but you know, I think he, uh, the fact, if I would have taken what was offered, I think he would have lost more respect for me, if that makes sense. Sure. You no. know what I mean? I know it's a weird thing to say, sure. but you know, in a lot of ways, Vince has always been kind of like a, um, you know, an adult figure, an older figure, a mentor, you know, a crazy-ass boss sometimes that you <laughs> want to, you know, um, shove in the trunk of a car and drive off a cliff. <laughs> but at the same time, they, he still was able to motivate you as a talent to be better. And, and I think at that time, he understood where I was coming from, and that's why, you know, he was uh, sincere about me leaving because, you know, it, he understood for me personally it was a thing I had to do, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's... And that's, that's, like, that's a funny thing, too, because... I've always looked at my career in WWE as I could be fired tomorrow when I was there. Yeah. You know, my last name wasn't McMahon. Nothing was guaranteed. You yeah. have to work hard every day. It is a, it's, it's not like you, you get there and, oh, I've made it. You know, it's a, it's a constant, uh, hustle and work rate. And that kind of, uh, that kind of environment has made me a better, a better talent, a better person because I understand what I'm there for. I'm not there just to be a star on TV. I'm there to make a company better. And that's one of the reasons why I want to leave is that I wanted to do more. And I, AEW gave me that opportunity in a completely different, different type of environment. You know, it's a, it's to have the knowledge I have now, um, or as smart as I think I am, let's put it that way. <laughs> and the ability to, to apply that is, is so spiritually rewarding. It's, it's, um, I don't want to say I do it for free, but uh, spiritually rewarding. It's pretty amazing. Uh, and I'm just a guy, but uh, for people listening that don't understand the wrestling business or are just casual fans, like for what Paul White did to be in the business as long as he's done and to do it 20 years in the WWE, like that is rare air. That is not, that just, just does not happen for just anybody. And so that's overly no, significant. No. <laughs> uh, and a- yeah, yeah, I'm very blessed to have been there that long, without a doubt, yeah. Uh, AEW Road Rager next Wednesday, James L. Knight Center, 7 o'clock, AEWTix.com. AEW, if you haven't watched it, one, what are you waiting for, especially if you're a wrestling fan? And two, uh, it's going to be awesome at getting in front of fans again. I can't wait to see this thing next Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Paul White commentating as well, AEW Dark Elevation, Monday, 7 o'clock on the AEW YouTube channel. Let's wrap with this, and i got to talk basketball with you. I need you to go back to Wichita State, 91-92 season. <laughs> now you know that basketball right. is not a big man's game any longer. The big men have to be able to shoot or you have to play at the perimeter. Uh, college, right. Wichita State, Paul White, 91-92. How was that jump shot outside of, say, like 10, 12 feet? Um, I had great offensive shooting skills. I mean, I was a great shooter. I think my biggest problem when I went to Wichita State is, believe it or not, I never really ran an organized offense before. I yeah. posted up in a low post and just did what I had to do. So for me, it was a really unique transition because Coach Cohen ran that UCLA high post offense. It always felt like to me, just by the time I got in place ready to do something, I had to move again. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, the game has changed. Like if I had to play the game now with the tremendous athletes we had now, I would be like, you know, like a thug from a hockey team. I would just go in there and set permanent picks. Uh, I love that's it. I, Throw that body around. Yeah, that, yeah. that would be my role now, permanent picks. I, I got it. I got five fouls, and every one of them is going to count. 
Hey, you're, you're like Udonis Haslam. Like, you're, you're modern-day Udonis Haslam if you were going to uh, be in that role. And I appreciate that and respect that. Uh, Paul White, uh, it, and I've always appreciated the time that you've given to, uh, to people like us and to fans especially. And uh, typically, there are, there's someone on the phone saying wrap it up. And for you to spend the time you did with us, uh, really appreciate it. And I can't wait to be down there next Wednesday to uh, see AEW back on the road. Paul White, thank you for jumping on with us. Thank you very, very much for having me. Have a great day. All right. Paul White, again, wrestling superstar, one of the greatest giants in the history of sports entertainment. And you can see Paul White on the AEW YouTube channel, AEW Dark Elevation, Monday, 7 Eastern time. Get your AEW tickets, AEW Road Rager next Wednesday, James L. Knight Center. This will be nationally televised, TNT, AEW returning to the road. Be a part of it. Be there. Be a part of what's going to be a raucous crowd. AEWTix.com, AEWTix.com, Paul White. We're late. It was well worth it. We'll be back. I'm Ken Levick. I'm live on ESPN 106.3. You are listening to Ken Levick Alive. Call the show now at 888-760-3776. Here's Ken and Coquel. We're about to have what could be a bit of a difficult conversation, but I think it's a necessary conversation in regards to Jason Kidd and Chauncey Billups now becoming NBA head coaches. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But before we get to that, one, I want to thank AEW's Paul White because that was awesome and it allowed me to nerd out a little bit and relive some childhood and I hope that you all enjoyed it as well if you're even a casual wrestling fan because Paul White aka Big Show is real as hell he's a Florida guy and he has a lot of stories and uh, the the concrete in the plexiglass in the uh, the grave in the no way out match that is a great story. That is an, him thinking that Shane McMahon might kill him as the air. Uh, you could hear the air flapping against his pants after Shane McMahon jumped off the Titan Tron. That's a great story. We'll have all that with the Ken Levick Live featuring Coquel podcast wherever you get your podcast. So thank you to Paul White, AEW Road Rager. Coming up next Wednesday, James L. Knight Center in Miami, AEWTix.com. Also want to talk to you, though, about Greenway Kia, West Palm Beach, because they're looking out for you. Much like AEW is awesome. Uh, Greenway Kia West Palm Beach is awesome, and they're doing it for the people. Purchase or lease any new Kia with the Payments on Us sale on their lot, Military Trail, West Palm Beach. They're going to give you the first nine months of payment off. Like That's a steal. Plus, you keep all the rebates. Steal. Mention this ad. Receive a flat-screen TV with your new Kia purchase. Steal. Get up to $6,000 over Kelly Bluebick fair market value for any trade. Steal. All of that at Greenway Kia West Palm Beach. Visit GreenwayKiaWestPalmBeach.com for more details. And don't forget about their credit clinic where they have bank representatives on site to put you in an automobile even if you have concerns about your credit. That's Greenway Kia West Palm Beach. Greenway Kia West Palm Beach. It's where I got my Kia K5 GT, my beloved automobile. It's where you'll get a great Kia as well. Greenway Kia West Palm Beach. Greenway Kia West Palm Beach. Com. Yesterday, Chauncey Billups was introduced as the new head coach of the uh, Portland Trailblazers. And uh, over the last few days, uh, the, the Chauncey Billups saga from 1997 has popped back up. A sexual assault allegation against Chauncey Billups. This was never legally pursued. He was never formally charged, but he did settle 
out of court. And it's an ugly incident. Uh, and it's something that I think many sports fans just completely forgot about because this was early in his career. This is before he found NBA glory. He's gone on to have success as an assistant coach and is now the head man of the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, it's been met with much consternation, as you can imagine, especially in the Pacific Northwest. Chauncey Billups did the right thing by addressing it right off the bat at his press conference yesterday. You know, I first want to talk about a little bit what Neil talked about, and that's the incident that happened in in 1997. You know, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about how every decision that we make could have a profound impact on a person's life. Um, I learned at a very young age as a player, and not only a player, but a, a young man, a young adult, that every decision, you know, every decision has consequences, you know, and that's led to some really, really healthy but tough conversations that I've had to have with my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time in 1997, and my daughters about what actually happened and about what they may have to read about me in the news and in the media. But this, this experience has shaped my life in so many different ways. Um, my decision-making, obviously, who I allow to be in my life, um, the friendships and the relationships that I have um, and how I go about them. You know, it's impacted every every decision that I make. You know, it really has. Um, and it's shaped, it's shaped me in some unbelievable ways. So, you know, I, I know how important it is, you know, really to to have the right support system around you, in particular during tough, difficult times. Um, and it's something that I've tried to instill in all of the players that I've played with over the course of my career, just sharing some of my experiences and things, and maybe it will help them, you know, down the road at some point. I thought that that was really well said and really intelligent, and this is not me uh, going out there and and just saying, give Chauncey Billups a break. Like this guy, he's a basketball legend. He deserves this job. But but it's someone that to me is someone who who made a mistake, a very allegedly egregious mistake, um, a disturbing mistake, but has atoned for it and has learned from it and is open to discussing it, which is important. And, of course, the Trailblazers had to ruin it just a couple of minutes later when uh, a reporter from The Athletic asked Chauncey Billups a follow-up off of that that was um, very appropriate, and uh, this happened. Hi, Jason Quick with The Athletic. Uh, You said the 1997 incident shaped you in unbelievable ways. Can you maybe elaborate on that and and how it helped shape you? Jason, we appreciate your question. We've addressed this. Um, It's been asked and answered, so um, happy to move on to the the next question here, Aaron. Hey, uh, this is just a little friendly tip for sports organizations, okay? Just a friendly PR tip. If you have a head coach who has a, uh, a sexual assault allegation in his past and a reporter wants to ask about it, You shouldn't just blow up the entire press conference and move on because you don't want the uncomfortable conversations to happen because all of the goodwill coming from Chauncey Billups addressing it directly 
were destroyed by Portland Trailblazers PR for then skirting questions about it later. That's bad. That's a terrible look. That's an awful look. But that also has nothing to do with Chauncey Billups. He didn't make that decision. That was a bad decision by Trailblazers ownership and Trailblazers and their media relations staff. But this is my point, and this goes to Jason Kidd as well. Chauncey Billups, his incident happened in 1997. Jason Kidd, his domestic violence situation happened in 2001. They are both now NBA head coaches. Jason Kidd is on his third NBA coaching job now. At what point do we allow men who have, uh, and anybody for that matter, anybody who have made egregious, sometimes violent mistakes, at what point do we allow for them to be able to live their life? They have, they have paid the penance. They have atoned for what took place. They have been, by all accounts, solid citizens. Maybe not perfect, but solid citizens since those incidents took place. If they indeed learned, if they indeed took lessons away from that, if they indeed were able to apply those lessons and make themselves better people, at what point do we have to allow them to be able to succeed? How long are we going to put these things on their shoulders? Again, I am fully cognizant of, in Portland especially, if it comes down to Chauncey Billups and Becky Hammond, it is really sensitive to have Chauncey Billups beat out Becky Hammond for that coaching job. All things considered, absolutely. With the atmosphere of the country, with uh, the past of Chauncey Billups, but also when someone makes a mistake like that, this goes for the criminal justice system, this goes for anything like that. When someone makes a mistake, we want them to atone for it. We want them to learn from it. We want them to become the source of reclamation. And if Chauncey Billups and Jason Kidd have done that, then don't they deserve to become NBA head coaches? Don't they deserve to be considered to be NBA head coaches? And I'm not trying to be insensitive to um, victims of sexual assault, domestic violence. No, not at all. But also, where do we draw the line? Should Chauncey Billups, Jason Kidd, for anybody that runs afoul of the criminal justice system, should they never have the opportunity again to pursue um, a career, to pursue um, a, a prominent role in a field of their choosing. It's a tough, tightrope to walk, and I understand that. But also, do we judge people by their worst moments? Like, Should we be doing that? And I know some are more severe than others. But I was taught a long time ago, don't judge someone solely by their worst, their lowest point. And I know it's hard sometimes, especially in the age of social media, where things bubble up over and over and over again and get regurgitated over and over and over again. But I just think to say that Chauncey Billups shouldn't have this job, Jason Kidd shouldn't have this job, it's a little bit unfair for things and for incidents. And yes, they were violent. And yes, they're uncomfortable. But they've also appear to have learned from these. And isn't that what we're looking for as a society? And I don't think that means that you should automatically disqualify these two men from being able to become 
NBA head coaches. And you might vehemently disagree with me, but uh, at, at what point do we stop the judgment of Chauncey Billups and Jason Kidd? Should they be allowed to be NBA head coaches? 888-760-3776. 888-760-3776. You can tweet at us at ESPN West Palm. He's Joe Rigotti. I'm Ken Levick. I'm live on ESPN 106.3. From the Anajar and Levine Studios in downtown West Palm Beach, you are listening to Ken LaVica Live on ESPN 106.3. Here's Ken LaVica. The best baseball point that I've heard all season came from J.J. Watt. I'll tell you what it is in just a moment. Ken Levick Alive here on ESPN 106.3. Ken Levick Alive podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to it. And today, part of that will be our long-ranging interview with AEW's Paul White, otherwise known as The Big Show in his WWE days. AEW is coming to Miami next Wednesday, 7 o'clock. Go to AEWTix.com. But great stuff, outstanding stories from Paul White. That'll be part of the Ken Levick Alive podcast Coming up a couple of minutes after the show concludes, subscribe to it and get it uh, right to your phone. Stormhouse Brewing in North Palm Beach. Uh, they're so super real. One, they're uh, one of the few craft breweries and the only one in North County that actually has a full food menu. They've got a ton of festivities coming up for the 4th of July. I want to repeat, craft brewery with a full food menu. That just doesn't happen. They're beautiful beautiful place uh, in the Crystal Cove Commons, US 1 in North Palm Beach, just a half mile south of PGA Boulevard, indoor seating, outdoor seating, uh, plenty of room at the bar, huge flat screen TVs, any sport you want. It's been a Euros headquarters over there. They've got all the baseball. They've got all the NBA playoffs. They've got all the NHL playoffs. They also had US soccer darling Christian Pulisic pop in last week. Like, how real is that? Stormhouse Brewing just has the the U.S. soccer phenom Christian Pulisic popping in to hang out. How good is that? Stormhouse Brewing, North Palm Beach, U.S. 1, just a half mile south of PGA Boulevard. It's an extended three-day weekend. No excuse not to get to Stormhouse Brewing for the craft beer. Brewed on site. Delicious. The variety. I love the sours, by the way. And the full food menu. So you don't have to order Uber Eats or walk next door to get food. You can stay parked Drink, watch sports, eat. Stormhouse Brewing, North Palm Beach, US 1, Crystal Cove Commons, just a half mile south of PGA Boulevard. J.J. Watt tweeted the following last night. Serious question. What argument could you make for any other player over Shohei Otani for MVP? The guy literally dominates at the plate and on the mound. Not a single other player even attempts that, much less succeeds at it. He's the definition of most valuable. Okay, Arizona Cardinals pass rusher J.J. Watt. I, well said. I, I don't know how to even come back at you for that. You, big, beefy Cardinals pass rusher, are, are, are right. Like There is no other player in the discussion for MVP as long as Shohei Otani is on pace for 57 home runs this year and has a sub-2-4 ERA. You're right. You're right. You're right. Like, I, I can't argue with that. 
Like, of all of the weird things in 2021, like, with all the injuries we've had, like, Devin Booker's left leg is going to fall off tonight. Um, uh, with, with all of the sticky stuff debate that we've had in baseball, with the fact we're coming out of a pandemic, maybe the wildest, weirdest thing to me is J.J. Watt making the point of the year on baseball. He's right. And the Angels aren't a good team. The Angels aren't going to go to the playoffs. But that doesn't matter. Because he's right. Shohei Otani is the most valuable player in the game, and it's not even close. Nobody even attempts to do what he's able to do. Like, occasionally, twins, uh, the Twins, because they're getting blow out, blown out, will throw that, uh, that rotund catcher on the mound, and he'll get a, 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 a couple of innings of work in because they're losing 15-1. to 1. That's not actually pitching. He's effacing his way to, to a conclusion. Uh, Shohei Otani is dominating both on the mound and at the plate. And when it, the home run he hit last night at, at Yankee Stadium that got no more than 10 feet off the ground, it was the most line drive home run I've ever seen. Like, he tomahawked it. He, I've never seen anything like it before. He tomahawked a home run, and the sound the ball makes coming off of his bat is like a sledgehammer hitting a piece of steel. Like, he's not normal. And J.J. Watt, of all people, is right. Shohei Otani is as long as he's on the field, it doesn't matter the capacity, he's the most valuable player because he's the single best all-around player in baseball and probably in all of modern-day baseball. I say probably, who the hell else is doing what he's doing or has done for the last 40 years? Yeah, he's the MVP. So if you think you can't have an opinion on something because you don't think you know enough about it, one, I do this show every day, okay? And two, J.J. Watt made the best point about baseball that I have seen all season long. We'll be back tomorrow. It's going to be our final live show before the 4th of July holiday from Barbecue News. Doug Mosley going to give you tips for your Independence Day barbecue. That'll be tomorrow plus a whole lot of fun. Thanks to Paul White. Special thanks to Joe Rigotti because he downright rules. He's Rigotti. I'm Ken Levick. I've been live on ESPN 106.3. Farewell.